You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello. I am Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL podcast. I'm at Williamson NFL on Twitter. We come to you every day as the entire Locked On Network does. The whole network brings you the biggest news from the local experts. All kinds of good stuff you got to check out. Um, one thing I need you to do, and it helps us a lot more than you might realize, is when you get in your car, please tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On NFL. And yesterday I teased it when we did the, the crossover with Locked On Vikings that we're going to have another ret- um, a returning guest who's been with us quite a bit lately. That's Dwayne McFarland. I, I talk to you more than I talk to my wife anymore, brother. Man, I think uh, the same for you. My <laughs> wife's always like the Mats because it's Matt Williamson and Matt Waldman. <laughs> She's like, man, you M-dub. like the, M- the MWs. <laughs> right. <laughs> Good stuff. Um, you have a new career um, venture. You're, you're going to be working with football guys. I've done some articles with those guys. I've been on SIGs on the Couch Show a bunch. Great group to work with. And they get a great guy in yourself to add to the group. But you mentioned you're going to do some OBJ to the Browns um, things to kind of pop your cherry there to get started, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've just finished up an article that I submitted over uh, today. And, you know, really what it's around is just looking at the range of outcomes for Odell Beckham Jr., you know, as a Brown. Okay. And, you know, one of the big things, you know, that jumped out to me, you know, immediately, and, and this is something that you heard on a, on a lot of first takes, but it's something that, you know, I just wanted to dig into a lot more is just the move from Eli Manning to Baker Mayfield. Right. And so as I dug into that some more, you know, a couple things that I found, um, you know, one, you know, Mayfield's completion rate was 63.8 last year. That was better than Eli Manning's was ever in his whole career. Wow. Until funnel until what's funny is the only year Eli Manning beat that was last year, <laughs> but that's a little bit. That's a little bit. You know, kind of disguising really, because really, what happened was the average depth of target really came way, way down for Eli Manning. That was actually his second lowest uh, average depth of target in his career. Uh, and considering quick, the fact that he, hit the, I'm just yeah, guessing, but boy, a lot of those had to be passes you and I could complete to Saquon Barkley when the going got tough. You know, just dumps uh, that kind of stuff. A ton. A, a ton. ton of dump-offs. Yeah. And if you think about the way that team's built, really, you know, outside of Odell Beckham Jr., you know, you've got, um, you know, Sterling Shepard, who works a lot underneath. You've got Barkley. Now, Evan Ingram is a, is a tight end that's probably more vertical, not as horizontal. You know, he'll stretch the seam a lot. So those are some tougher throws that Eli, you know, has to make. But even when you're talking about some of the best place to make completions in the league and or throw deeper and still have a chance of completing it, the two best places are the two seams. That's where the league average it still maximizes the most whenever you talk about catch rates further down the field. Okay. Um, I wrote an article, I'm guessing it was week seven, week eight last year, saying just from watching tape, I thought Beckham was the number one best wide receiver in football, was playing better than he ever had, and kind of to your point, his numbers weren't as great as some of the others, but boy, he was open all the time. I bet he was very frustrated in New York, and the other thing I've read since then, which makes a lot of sense, is Baker's deep accuracy is a gazillion times better than Eli's. Yeah. 
That's where I was going next. Okay. Um, you, you know, you're all over it. Um, Mayfield's completion rate over 20 yards. It's, it's funny. I did see a tidbit on this today. I think it was Graham Barfield that put it out. And I just submitted this like two days ago. <laughs> it was funny. And it's, it happens you know, all the time. Been, I mean, we're all I know, just doing the same thing, you know. Exactly, but he's hitting the nail on the head, you know. So Mayfield, a 44.4% completion rate on passes of 20 yards or more. Here are Eli Manning's recent marks, 23%, 29%, 32%, and 29%. So it's a huge upgrade over what Eli has done, you know, over the last five, six years. In fact, I mean, Eli Manning has never hit that mark. So it's going to be an upgrade. Now Mayfield has to continue to play well. You know, he was a rookie. You, you can talk to the audience better, you know, about this than me, but the league will change things up on you. They figure out what you're good at, what you're not good at. But what I like about the offense is how diverse it's built. You know, the other thing they get is Todd Monken coming in to go along with Freddie Kitchens. So for folks not aware of uh, Freddie Kitchens background, it really goes really deep with Bruce Arians. He spent a lot of time, uh, Arian, the whole time Arians was in uh, Arizona, Kitchens was there with him. So he was there to soak that up. And if you and if you think about it, last year, from the time Kitchens took over, he put his fingerprints all over this Browns offense. Think about how Arians likes to push the ball down the field. We discussed mm-hmm. them you know, a couple weeks ago when I hopped on with you. Same thing. So when, when Kitchens jumped in, Mayfield saw his yards per target jump from, yards per uh, attempt jump from 6.7 to 8.8 the league average is 7.2 so if you think about the vertical way that those offenses work that was much more instilled the other thing you saw is that the offense actually got a lot more balanced um antonio i mean not antonio brown but uh, jarvis landry was being treated much more like an antonio brown type player when todd haley was still there they were moving him um, all over the formation he was working deeper down the field and he had i believe it was four games over 35 percent of the targets once kitchens took over that never happened again it was much more evenly distributed now now landry was still the lead receiver and he's still and he's he for a good reason he was the best yeah, player on the team at the time but it got a little more even, and I think that just that flexibility opened Baker up to more things. And and you and you know, Brashad Perryman also just kind of popped onto the scene down the stretch, and that's why because of the kind of scheme they were running. Well, now in steps Callaway you know, Todd Monken, you know, right? Yeah, and Callaway Flash. Yeah. And so when you bring in Monken, a similar thing. Todd Monken's um, average depth of target last year was the highest in the league uh, for a team. The highest quarterback was Josh Allen, but for a team that sustained for the whole year, it was the Bucks, and he was an 11.1, and that was an 8.6 yards per attempt last year for Monken's offense. So what I what I get excited about is what you were just talking about. When you take Beckham, his talent and his skill set, and now when you put him in a an offense that can deploy him in a multitude of ways and attack in other areas of the field, not just him. And then you pair him with a young quarterback that's that can also stretch the field. I just feel like you're bound to unlock, you know, untapped potential in Odell Beckham Jr. You know, as long as he's healthy. And it's like you said, the other thing I was studying around um, Beckham Jr. is he scores highly everywhere, whether it's his catch rate. Oh, yeah. It's an adjusted catch rate based on depth of target. He's good at every area of the field. Uh, His touchdowns per target are huge. Like, you know, the guy, you know, is always going to be right around the 10 to 12 touchdown mark when he's healthy. Um, And then if you look at his yards after the catch, he's elite there. So when I look at him, he's a guy that I think of that can win anywhere, right? You can win on a quick throw to him where he could just take it to the house. He can win on intermediate clutch throws where it's a third and seven and you need the first down. But he can also unlock that vertical deep element of his game at any moment and the dbs always have to be respecting that without question and to be honest with you i think he 
is an all-time great receiver, not like one of the better ones now. I mean, I think he's going to be a historically great receiver who's in his prime. And I'm with you. I love the running game. I love the offensive coaching staff. I'm all on board with Baker. Guys like Najoku and Landry and Callaway are now complimentary pieces. That's pretty crazy. But this system isn't easy on pass protection. And I think they might regret trading Zeitler, not addressing tackle a little bit more. If things go wrong, that might be where it happens. Yeah, I agree. I think that is the potential Achilles heel for the team. Um, you know, I, I think it's you know something they're going to have to figure out pretty quickly in camp. And if not, they may need to make some sort of a move. But yeah, um, the Zeitler trade actually was that was kind of surprising that they they moved him. They wanted him. to get Corbett I, in. I understood it. But to me, Zeitler's worth more than Olivier Vernon. And I know that sounds crazy. How can a guard be worth more than a pass rusher? Well, he's one of the best in the league, and he's a great pass protector. <laughs> it depends on how good the guard and how good the pass right, protector is. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> you can't say that. It's black and white. Right, exactly. That was, that, was, <laughs> that was stupid by the Giants to trade a pass rusher that's been beaten in the ground for a great guard. No, I would much rather Zeitler. Yeah, you know, so for your fantasy guys out there, if there are any listening, my actionable advice at the end of this, you know, you, you bring all this data together for a reason, you know, to try to help people with stuff like that. And, you know, my thought around Beckham is uh, obviously when you think about some of the guys like Devontae Adams and you think about DeAndre Hopkins, those two guys, their their floor is, you know, so high because they're going to see between 160 and 200 looks. Beckham's probably not going to see that in this offense. But if for some reason, you know, I've got Beckham at 25% based on the way, you know, the this Arians, Kitchens, Monken type of offense typically runs. You know, that's when it, when there's plenty of weapons, they will distribute the wealth. Um, but, man, his upside on his efficiency is just it, – it's huge. I mean, Mike Williams averaged 17 yards a catch in this offense last year. Deshaun Jackson averaged over 19. So, I mean, it's tough to project those kind of numbers. But I think if you're looking at – a guy like Beckham, I think it's safe to say you're going to see a career high this year from him in yards per catch. I, I don't disagree at all. I, although I do think he'll he'll throw him the ball one yard behind the line of scrimmage, one yard in front of the line of scrimmage, like you said, because he's so good in all areas. Um, uh, his durability does worry me a little bit more. It seems like that a little bit. It doesn't seem like that's reported enough that he has missed a lot of games. That it's a little bit of a concern, but. Hey, I, I didn't go to med school. I, I can't really comment on that. But I think he, you know, you mentioned Adams, you mentioned Hopkins. Like, for fantasy reasons, they're the top two receivers drafted in almost every draft mm-hmm. from what I've seen. But Beckham's ceiling is higher than theirs, for sure. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, like, you know, I, you say it in a simple way. I won't bore your audience. But when you do the <laughs> math, you do the math on a bell curve. So, when you think about your – anytime I'm projecting, the way I try to do it – you know, and this isn't just for fantasy, it's just for NFL offenses, period. You know, there's a bell curve within, you know, your your uh, way that you're projecting. So your median projection, right, that I come to, and then about, you know, if you look at, you know, somewhere about 10% either way of that, there's a there's about a 70% range, right, that your median plus these two other ends represent. And, you know, for me, where that landed on Beckham was anywhere from 153 targets to 140 targets, but his yardage anywhere from 1390 to 1150, you know, mm-hmm. his touchdowns 13 to nine. So, um, but there is a, I know touchdowns are very variable, but this guy has a knack for scoring touchdowns, right? Like, so <laughs> at his median, I've got him at 11. 
Okay. It, it, his, it is ceiling, his real, I call it a realistic ceiling. There's a, there's, there's a percentage of outcomes that could happen if everything lined up just right, but you can't, it's tough to really account for. It's like a bell curve, right? Those, those ends way out at the end, they could happen, but they're not likely, you know, but if you look at his realistic ceiling, I could see him scoring 13, 14 touchdowns, you know, his, his floor, I think, you know, is eight to nine. Now this is assuming, you know, that he plays all 16 games. Right, right. Of course. I mean, that's how you have to do projections. Um, folks, let's talk about sex. Good sex. Remember the days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients in Viagra and Cialis. So, you know, they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Um, now, guys, this isn't just for people that cannot perform. It's for any guy that wants extra function to enhance their performance in the bedroom. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, no awkwardness. They're made in the USA. And since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy. And now they're super cheap if you do what I tell you to do, which all of you bo- you guys should be doing without question. And that is visit BlueChew.com. Get your first shipment free. Use our special promo code Locked On. All you do is pay the 5 bucks shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code Locked On to try it free. BlueChew is a better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them a great deal for sponsoring the podcast. Now, Dwayne, yesterday I had the host of Locked on Vikings on, and we kind of did an overview of the team, but I want to concentrate a lot more on the offense, and I think it's an extremely interesting team. The line almost has to be better by scheme and by talent. A first-round center, O'Neal in his second year, the guards can't possibly be as bad in protection as they were a year ago. And I think they have a better feel now for who Kirk Cousins is. I mean, he really isn't a $30 million quarterback that puts the offense on his shoulders. He's a distributor and needs protection, needs to get the ball out. And mostly, he needs to rely on Dalvin Cook. Yeah, I, I think you hit on a lot of really good things there. I'm I'm excited about what's going to happen with the line, and I think you're hitting the nail on the head with Kirk Cousins. And that's not to say that that's bad. No, no, it's right? not. But it's and it's I, because I, but, but you know how it is when you say those kind of things, people immediately take that as oh, you think that quarterback's bad. <laughs> and <laughs> I kind of do, to be honest. I'm not the biggest Cousins fan, but it is what he is. So build around him to win, and I think that's what they're doing. Right. I think Cousins can do fine for what they need if their defense can bounce back. Last year, the defense underperformed. Yeah, Zimmer got rid of Filippo towards the end of the season. But I could argue just as many things fall back on the defense and Zimmer and his inability you know, to really bring maximum results out of that side of the equation. Dwayne, um, real quick, too, and this is something I threw out yesterday. They missed the most field goals in the league. You know, Things like that make a difference. I mean, you miss, I think, three more field goals than any other team. Maybe you would have won that one extra game and gotten in the playoffs, and who knows? You know, so it wasn't all cousins, of course. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the good thing, you know, for the for the Vikings is like what you're just talking about. 
anytime whenever I'm going and doing this type of analysis, you know, and you're obviously looking at all the things you just talked about, what's the roster construction like? How are these things changing? What about Gary Kubiak? What effect? All those things are important. But one of the first things, you know, that I always look at, especially if the roster stays pretty much intact and it's, and I would say it's mostly pluses, things that are getting better, not worse, mm-hmm. you know, is what was the average margin, right, of victory? In this case, you know, for the Vikings, um, it was very high. I'm looking back at it, 1.2. So it's not like they, they weren't, their margin of victory was a positive, <laughs> you know, even though they, you know, finished where they did. So they're not a team that's just way off the mark. The year before they were an 8.1. So I see them as being a team, you know, that, you know, if a few things and you know how this game works, a few things bounce your way and the Vikings are easily a 10 win team. If sure, things sure. if your offense is performing really well, and a few things bounce your way, they could win 11 or 12 games. The division is going to be tougher, I think, this year. But I like what the Vikings have going. And if you think about what you were just talking about with, you know, uh, Dalvin Cook. I go back to last year at the end of the season um, when um, Kevin Stefanski took over. Now, I think some people kind of overinflate this, but if you do look over the last three games of the season at how they went about distributing uh, the the pass and the run, um, when DiFilippo had been leading the team, they were at 64% pass plays versus 30 per, 36% run. <laughs> Can you imagine wow. that for a wow. Mike Zimmer coach team? I, I mean, I bet yeah, he so, lost his mind after games and watching film and behind the scene in coaches' meetings. I bet he went insane. Yeah, I bet he did. I'm yeah. sure that drove Zimmer crazy. And I'm not saying that there aren't teams that shouldn't operate that way, but obviously that doesn't fit Zimmer. But if you look what happened then, you know, once uh, once uh, Stefanski came in and took over, that totally flipped. If you look at Cousins and what he did, you know, it's just, again, small sample size, only three games. But Cousins' attempts plummeted from a pace of 645 to 437. His yards plummeted from 4,500 to 3,200. To 3,200. But the passing game was more efficient as they leaned on the run more. Their yards per attempt jumped up from 7.1 to 7.8. And picks dropped from a pace of 11 to 5. Hmm. So touchdowns still were going to be in the 30 to 32 range. So if you think about it, and now you think about Gary Kubiak, Kubiak, if you think about those Shanahan Kubiak type offenses, one of their hallmarks is the efficiency that they get. You know, they run a lot of, they'll run quite a few plays. They're going to stay true to the run anytime they can, but they're going to use that running game to layer and set up everything else, everything, every other single thing, which is a punch counter punch type of type of offense. So I think that's, you know, ultimately good news for Viking fans. If, if I were, you know, a, f- a fan of the Vikings and I was looking at this, I would be excited because I think it is going to be something where I don't, I don't think it'll be as dramatic as what we saw just to, to put context into play though. In two of those games last year where that happened, uh, they were blowing out really bad teams. So they played against the dolphins in one of those games. And I believe the other game, they blew out the, the lions. And then in the last game of the season, I'm trying to remember who they played, but they ended up losing, and in that game, they ended up passing a lot more. So I don't think I, I don't see it as being something where it's going to be fifty percent run, fifty percent pass. No, but I definitely don't see it being sixty four percent pass and you know thirty six percent run. I think you're looking at something more like fifty five, fifty six, fifty seven percent pass, forty three, forty four, forty five percent run. They still have a ton of money tied up in Kirk Cousins, uh, and they have big money, big new money tied up in Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen as well. And those are really good players. So I expect them to still pass the ball because that's where the talent lies. I just think you're going to see more balance. I think more efficiency too. And I'm pretty sure you use that word, you know, more play action. People forget. I mean, cousins for the first two, three years of his career was the most turnover prone quarterback in the history of the league. 
you know, percentage-wise. And I think that's his DNA, and that's why I'm not big on him, because he's not Brett Favre. You know, there's not enough highs, there's not enough great throws, so they have to reel him in, play action, hit an open digs, hit an open Thielen, and I think it could work really well. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing with Cousins that I've that I've seen when really studying him, it's not so much his decision making in the passing game per se. He doesn't his interceptions. Um, you know, I'm pulling them up right now. But if you look at his average versus the they league, were very bad as a, as a, as a yes. youngster. They've gotten better. I just think in there's thir- times. in thirteen. Yeah, he was a four and a half percent, and in 2014, a four and a half percent again. But since then, he's been two percent, two percent, two point four, and last year a one point seven. Um, however, he is one of those guys when he gets hit, he fumbles a lot. I don't know that's if it's really a hand size point. thing. Who 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 knows? But his overall turnovers, what I've noticed on his fumbles is he does, and I don't have those numbers right in front of me. I'd have to verify, you know, in a little bit. But he does fumble uh, at a higher rate per sack than a lot of the other quarterbacks. And I think that adds in as well. So when you're passing the ball 65% of the time, a guy like Zimmer is going to look at that, you know, as being, that's just more chances for either of those things to happen. And I'm not saying that's necessarily the right way to think, but I do think trying to add some more balance ultimately uh, helps them. And one other note that I did have on um, Kirk Cousins is he is actually one of the best play action passers in the league. Yes, that's a good his, point. His, his, I feel his like play I'm action yard is very good at it. You're right. And, well, that's the way you just said it. They need to use the running game, which they will with Kubiak. They're going to play to his strengths. That, that's what I would be excited about as a Vikings fan. Um, I think there are some mixed signals if, as far as fantasy owners go because we know they want to run more, but they still have this money p- tied up in wide receivers, and it's not like they didn't you know, go out and draft you know, a good tight end in the second round as well and Irv Smith to give them a little bit more variety. They brought Kyle Rudolph back. You already talked about Dalvin Cook, who's a good option in the passing game. You know, We're hearing uh, a lot of stuff about uh, you know, BB. Yeah, they and- were raving about him yesterday. Right. Yeah, about what he could be doing in the offense. So I think there are plenty of weapons, but I, I'm with you. What I see is more balance, and I see more efficiency. I agree. And first of all, well, we're, we're talking here about the Packers in a second. Uh, there's a, we can we can make these shows an hour, half hour, but we do like to do short little segments here on the Locked On Network. I want to let you guys know, too, today's show is brought to you also in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own hotels. It, Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com, be there, do that, get rewarded. All right, we're back, and I want to talk Packers. And this is another one we could talk forever about. And I mentioned Dalvin Cook before, and boy, I want to see him stay healthy. I think he could be a pro bowler. He could lead the league in rushing. And I kind of feel the same about Aaron Jones, that this could be a huge breakout year for him. But I have a hunch that... You look at the coaching staff, this might be more committee than Jones, you know, fantasy owners are going to be excited about. I think that's possible. I think my biggest concern, you know, with Aaron Jones is just him getting on the field in pass pro. So the previous regime uh, with Mike McCarthy, um, they never came out and said that about Aaron Jones anywhere that I could find. But what I noticed is Jamal Williams was on the field for about 50% of their passing attempts last year or passing plays. And 
Aaron Jones was only on the field for 34% of those. Now you had some rotation in of uh, Ty Montgomery and some other guys that got on the field some before Montgomery left. Um, So to me, it was pretty clear that they didn't necessarily trust Aaron Jones as a pass protector. Now, I also know if he's inherently a workhorse. I love the guy. I mean, like I host this other podcast, Dynasty Blueprint, and it's like a running joke that I like Jones too much. But I'm just worried if I go if I've gone a little overboard. Yeah, as far as him being a runner and and holding up, I think there's an argument, right, at the size he's at. But I think he's a guy that if you – I think you could get him into the 225, 250 carry yep. range and then supplement that with another 50 to 60 catches. And he, he could he could maybe – he could possibly be okay, you know. He's got a similar build to Jamal Charles. You know, we saw Jamal, Jamal Charles do – Put some da- do some damage, you know, in those years whenever he was with Kansas City. Now he did ultimately, you know, succumb to injury. So I think, you know, and given Aaron Jones's history with injury, that's something that's always in the back of our mind. But what I love about Aaron Jones is he's one of those guys that um, he's not going to really – he doesn't mess around. You, A lot of people think of him as a dancer. I, he's not. He's, oh, more of a, he's more of a slasher. Yeah. Yes. It's like his efficiency, which is a, a next-gen stat. Uh, done by you know NFL.com. If you go look at their next gen stats, um, his efficiency, which e- basically equals how many yards do you run per yard gain. So it's telling you how north south a guy is really, if you think about it. And so his is a three point four five, which is elite. Wow, the guy okay. once he sees what he wants to up. do, he yeah. does it. He's explosive. Yeah, if you look at his uh, breakaway carry percentage, meaning the number of times his runs go for fifteen yards you know, divided by his number of carries, very, very strong numbers, 6% and 10% each of the last two years over the, over all of those carries is at a seven and a half percent. That's elite. This is a guy that can break runs on a consistent basis, which, you know, is something that you want from your running game. If, if you're going to be handing it off all those times, you need the possibility that you're going to get some, you know, big plays in there. And I think Aaron Jones definitely brings that to the team. For me, what I, if, if I'm a, a Packers fan or if I'm a fantasy owner, the thing that I would tell you to be watching this preseason, though, is you've got to watch when it's an obvious passing down. It's third and eight, third and nine, and they've got all the starters in there. Is Aaron Jones back there? Do they trust him? The other thing that could happen for him that I was about to say on a, you know just a second ago, if Aaron – I'm sure we're going to talk about this here in just a second, uh, Matt, but Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur have got to figure this thing out between them, the way the offense works and what Aaron Rodgers is used to. I know you guys talked about this last week on your Locked On uh, podcast with uh, the, your guy from Green Bay. Yeah, him, what's his good. name? People need to check that out if they haven't, but that was good. So he's, we've had both yeah. these teams on recently. Yeah, go ahead. It, it, was, a, it was a great podcast. So um, – the thing I was going to say about Aaron Jones, though, in this scheme is if you look at the way the that this scheme works, this is ba- this is Matt LaFleur. Well, who is he based on? Some of the same things we just talked about. Matt LaFleur spent time under Gary Kubiak. Matt, Matt uh, LaFleur spent time um, under Sean McVay. Most of his time Shanahan. really comes under right. Kyle Shanahan. So uh, all of those guys, though, are rooted in this type of scheme that we're talking about. They're that all we've Shanahan Kubiak guys. They're all, all, Kubiak's last name should be Shanahan. Yes. You know, as I say, the S2K. Yeah, right, right. So whenever you look at that, though, and the way that scheme works, there's a lot of different ways to use the runners. They're not always just sitting back in shotgun asking them to block. You know, it'll be a play action type of deal where then the, the running back slips out one side, the tight ends dragging across the other way. There are a lot of ways. Uh, that this team goes about protecting the quarterback in this type of scheme versus what you saw with Mike McCarthy. So I think that offers some flexibility for Aaron Jones um, as well. I, I, the, my one reservation, and again, I agree with everything you said, and frankly, he'll probably be in a lot of my fantasy teams. 
But I, I just noticed, you know, that besides Gurley, most of those have been committee-type backfields, and we saw it in Tennessee, Henry, Deion Lewis. They, they got, you know, Henry really apparently took over, but a lot of it was game script-related and late in the year. I just don't know that how they'll view Jones, I guess is my question, and I'm not sure any of us have those answers. Yeah, I don't know that we do either. Uh, my hunch is that Jones has a chance to to break that. I don't I don't I don't consider actually with these coaches that to be a super strong trend because if we go back there's also tons of examples, you know, where they've gone with one guy, right? Mm-hmm. All the way back to Terrell Davis, to Arian Foster, to Clinton Portis. I mean, there's a lot of guys that once they got the chance to fully, you know, run in this scheme outside of Gurley, we've seen it happen. I think with some of those guys that you mentioned, it's due to very distinct skill sets. When I think about Derrick Henry and I think about Deion Lewis, they both are very good at extreme opposite ends of a spectrum of, of things right. that you can do. They don't even Aaron look like Jones. they play the same sport. <laughs> I know. When you see <laughs> yeah. the picture together, it's pretty funny. Right. But, right. They couldn't be any different. It's amazing they walk in the same room for position meetings. Right. What, but my point with Aaron Jones is I do truly believe he can do all the things if we see him shore up pass pro. So that's the thing. That's the that you know, is the key. Sigmund Bloom for football guys. He says, "Hey, solve for X." I think with Jones, your solve for X is if you see him on the field in those pass protection situations, or you see the scheme protecting uh, the quarterback in different ways other than just asking them to sit back there and block. Last year, Jamal Williams was out there a ton because Aaron Rodgers, you know, when he sets back, he drops back. There are plays where he'll take forever just because he keeps surveying and surveying and surveying. Mm-hmm. And if they run that kind of offense. That's going to hurt Aaron Jones. And, and that's who Rodgers is. I mean, Rodgers led the league in throwaways last year, but I also don't think he was close to being healthy. I mean, that early knee injury, I think, plagued him all year. And you're right. I mean, solve for X isn't even necessarily us looking at Jones as a protector. It's Rodgers looking at Jones as a protector. Because if he doesn't trust him, he's not going to be on the field. Yeah, I, I agree. The other part is Rodgers needs to buy in to some extent to the scheme. You know, the oh, big yeah. thing with him is this riff with him and LeFleur right now. And I just, I, you know, Aaron Rodgers is, a, is an elite pro quarterback. You know, I don't know how well, you know, he knows all of this stuff. I know he knows it because he's the dude, right? But when I sit back as just an outsider and look at it, I think, man, every good quarterback that's ever got to play in this scheme when they had some talent around them, really special things are there to happen. There is, there's great potential. Look at what Matt Ryan did uh, with Kyle Shanahan. He went to the Super Bowl. Look at what, you know, uh, Mike Shanahan did for John Elway at the end of his career. You know, he got him to two Super Bowls. And so if you think about it, Aaron Rodgers, for me, you're now in a scheme where the scheme itself creates a ton of opportunity. You don't have to do it all on your own. You don't have to sit back in the shotgun and, you know, 30% of the time be changing the plague because you disagree with your coach. If you do that in this scheme, you're going to negate part of what the scheme is all about, which is building these looks in the first and second quarter that then you show the defense again in the third quarter and you hit the big play. That's why they script plays. It's not because, you know, I mean, it's the it's to collect data for later in the game. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. And that's what a lot, that's a great point. That's what a lot of folks don't understand about when you hear about those coaches scripting those first 15 plays you know a lot of times you know in the old days when you would hear announcers talk talk like about that you would think it was just oh the fir- the perfect first 15 plays that are going to win the game right and, and don't be wrong it was a huge misnomer right like when i was a kid when i was a kid i would be like how could they script 15 plays they don't know if it's gonna be third and eight or third and one you know it but the reality is they can go i mean it's a choose your own adventure to some degree 
But the whole key is defenses don't have a lot of time to prepare during the week. And if you come out in 12 personnel, show them this formation and this motion, and they check the cover two, well, then they got you. You know, then they come out and do the same thing, run a cover two beater. You know, I mean, they're collecting data. Right. You know, I, I, the other thing I think, you know, going back to your Aaron Jones comment, if they, even if it isn't Aaron Jones, if they can get, you know, Aaron Rodgers bought in and lean on the running game period, right, and be able to use that to set up efficiency. And I know that there was also some conversation of Rodgers saying that he's not comfortable turning his back to the yeah. to the line and all those sorts of things. He better get comfortable with that, though. I know it's it not his bag, but it has to happen. It helps you, and it, and it does have to happen because if you look at the way the offenses Lafleur has been a part of run, it's heavy play action. So over mm-hmm. the last several years, it's 30%, 29%, 27%, 27%, 40%. 40%. So these are, teams, these are teams that are in the top 20 percentile, the top 20th percentile from the, the amount of times they're running play action. But here's the thing with play action. Every team should be doing it more. We've it talked works. About it, a lot. it makes me crazy. It works. Right. It's, it's, it, it's that and the pump code, fake right. are the two like right. cheat codes that I don't. I, I don't understand why more teams don't use more, even if they don't run more. Even if they don't run more, just run more. It doesn't play matter, action. right? It's not like because I the fear defense the run. has to honor it. Yes, linebackers yeah. take that slight step forward, and that's all you need. Um, yeah, it's funny. So anyway, sorry. Last, I'm sorry. Last Packers note, and I got this too from our conversation last week. Is Allison's going to be the? Sanu, big slot guy, and Valdez Scantling's going to be the outside the number, quote number two slash starter or whatever, but they're all going to play about the equal amount of snaps. I really liked hearing that because I think Valdez Scantling's ceiling's very high. He'll see a lot of single coverage. I think he could be a breakout guy, but an inconsistent one. Like, I'm not saying he's going to catch eight balls every week, but when he does, I think they could really count. Yeah, when I look at this offense, and this is it's funny you mentioned this one because I just talked about this one last week with Matt Waldman on his podcast. Um, I he was talking to me about Valdez Scantling, and you know, you know, Matt, I asked him to actually give so give me his scouting report on Valdez Scantling and the receiver that he brought up because Matt's he's not one to throw out a ton of praise unless he's really looked at someone but when I started talking to him about Marquise Valdez Scantling hearing some of this actually I had listened to uh, I believe it was after listening to your podcast and I had heard some of this news um, I asked him about him and guess who he talked about with Valdez Scantling I don't know and I actually listened to most of them I gotta go back and check that one out the the, the name he brought out was was Terrell Owens wow and I was like I was like, wow. And he's like, yeah. And he compared the games and it was just, it was really good. So anybody that wants to go listen to that should, but he compared their games, you know, in a couple of ways. And he was super excited because that was what I asked. I said, Hey, well, Valdez Scantling last year did when he did his best, he worked inside from the slot, you know, whenever Cobb and Allison were out, then whenever he was forced to work outside, he faded down the stretch as he had to work against other top corners. Um, you know, and Matt's response on that was he he feels that the guy has the tools. It's just a matter of, you know, he's going into his second year. He's got more time now, but his body type, um, you know, the elusiveness, the explosiveness, all those things that he after has, catch, you know, yeah. are, are there. Yes, his after the catch ability. And one of the things I asked about was, you know, outside is going to be asked to work deep, you know, more often. Right? right, a lot vertically and you know matt had no qualms about him there as well so he's a guy that after 
talking with, you know, uh, Waldman last week, I actually moved up in my projections to give him about 16% of the targets in the offense. Whereas before I had him sitting at a lot of, at about a 14. Now I still have, uh, Allison, like you said, playing the slot, sitting at 15%, you know, Allison, the interesting note on him, you know, he is the only receiver on the whole team last year. If you do, um, Devontae Adams, if you look at Devontae Adams splits with all the other receiver receivers, when they played and when they didn't, the only receiver that when you put his splits with Devontae Adams that actually took targets away, meaning Rodgers was willing to go somewhere else, it was Allison. Wow. Every once Allison was gone, you know, that's when Adams shot through the roof. You know, he was up over 30 percent of the targets all of the time. Allison was demanding about, uh, you know, almost 25 percent of the targets in some games. But I think Allison easily this year working from the slot, you know, is going to be a 15 to 20 percent guy. But he was on pace for 64 catches, 970 yards and six and six touchdowns through five games. Um, That was a season long pace. I mean, I think a lot of people forget that. I mean, 64, almost a thousand and six touchdowns. And it's not so much to say that he's going to be the lead guy. It's back to your point. I think there's more. There's a lot to be had there. Yeah. Yeah. with the so I was sitting there thinking of kind of a me. negative, almost like I felt like he got those by default because Valdez Scantling comes from a tiny college, doesn't know what the heck he's doing, Rodgers doesn't trust him, so I'm going to go Geronimo. But now I'm looking at it like Valdez Scantling, if he has Rodgers' eye and his trust, well, he's potential to do much more than those numbers you projected. Yeah, he could. He could, you know. I, I think the big thing for their team overall is – if if Allison can do something like that, and then you've got the upside of a Valdez Scantling to go along with a Devontae Adams, and you know people shouldn't write Jimmy Graham off so soon. Yeah, he's I won't even you know I, I joked around last week. I'm like, no, he's not one step slower. He's two steps slower. Oh yeah. But but if you use him the right way, when you go back and watch the Packers last year, Jimmy Graham was often the third or fourth read, and so they were basically like just you know, hey, late throws down the middle of the field into heavy traffic or jump balls. There wasn't a lot of timing type stuff. There wasn't a lot of sitting down in zones. And if you think about this offense, it's designed to get the tight end open. You know, so it's designed to help create mismatches against linebackers, et cetera, a lot more motion and a lot more structure around the plays where there's going to be a chance for Jimmy Graham to be the second or third read in the play versus, you know, what Aaron Rodgers is used to doing is just sitting there saying, nope, in this play, it's this guy, this guy, or this guy. Now, now again, I think he and LaFleur will find some middle ground somewhere on those things, and they'll have to figure that out. But I think Jimmy Graham has a chance to actually, you know, not be great, but but, de- but at least be decent, be serviceable. And we mentioned this with Odell. I mean, I know that tight or touchdowns fluctuate year to year, but Jimmy Graham is an unbelievable red zone target, and he's built for it, came in the league that way basketball player at the U he's tremendous in tight quarters but all those things you just said makes me I'm, I'm smitten with Sternberger to be honest with you oh I and love him I love him and I, it might be next year but I think he's going to be a pro bowler and this offense is perfect for him um <laughs> we're gonna wrap it there though Dwayne I got a bad throat and I, I'm gonna start coughing all over the place so <laughs> dude this was awesome this could have been a two-hour podcast of course went about double as long as I planned you're the man please tell everyone where they can find you and folks, go back on my timeline, the Locked On NFL timeline, and find the other ones if it's the first time you've heard Dwayne. They've all been great. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. So first you can find me on Twitter at Dwayne McFarland, D-W-A-I-N. 
M-C-F-A-R-L-A-N-D. And then you can find my work over at mattwaldmanrsp.com. Of course, we already talked about that. And then now most recently, you can find me at footballguys.com. And you can also find a podcast that I do once a week. It's called the Fantasy Football Hustle. And we put that out through fightingchancefantasy.com. You were on it one time. That was our best episode, right? We had Matt Williamson. (laughs) All All right, folks. I told you my throat's giving out. I'll have Mark Schofield on tomorrow. That's a wrap. Over and out. Thanks so much.